The Apostle Peter begins his second letter with a gentle greeting and a benediction. That as his readers come to know more about God and his Son, that grace and peace would be multiplied to them. Then he builds on that in verses 3 and 4, explaining how God has given them everything they need to live and to have salvation, that they can even come to know his glory and his excellence and be partakers in his divine nature. Now, having highlighted all of that, notice what he says next. In verses 5 and following, For this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now there are several things that stand out in this text as Peter addresses his readers, these, to, uh, these Christians. Here he draws their attention to these qualities that they must have to be useful and to be fruitful in obtaining the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And notice how he says they need to supply or add, or maybe your version says supplement these things, implying that these things are not things that necessarily come naturally. These are things that have to grow, things that have to be built upon, things that we have to work at, but that they are things that we must improve upon in order for the reader to grow in such a way as to represent the essential nature of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what Peter tells them to add to their faith first. You see there in verse 5, he says, Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Some of your versions may say, add virtue. And I think leading with this really emphasizes what this is all about. That what Peter is telling his audience here is that you have something wonderful before you that God has given you and uh, he's given you everything and, and, and he's given you all that you need to partake in, in what he's offering. And knowing that, brethren, with all diligence, you need to continue to develop. You need to add and build these Christian virtues in your life. You need to work toward excellence. Or in other words, Peter is saying in order us for, for us to be the kind of person that Christ wants us to be, in order for us to grow and mature into the Christian that can partake in all these wonderful things, in order for us to excel in Christianity and to one day wear a crown of glory, he says, change is necessary. And this change isn't just a little bit. It isn't just for a little while. It's not in part, but it is an ongoing, thorough, and dramatic change. It is a total transformation that begins in a watery grave and ends before the throne of God. This morning I want to talk to you about this transformation, this change that must take place, this change that we must work toward in order for us to become the kind of people that Peter is talking about here, partakers of his divine nature. Let's discuss change for just a minute. 
We already said that change is necessary. But you know, of all the things that we typically enjoy in this life, change generally is not something that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. We don't typically like change because change can be very difficult. Change is hard. Change challenges us. Change takes us away from a place of security. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires work and sacrifice. We don't like change because change requires us to stop doing all of those things that we're used to doing and start doing something else, things that maybe we're not comfortable doing. January 1st, people all over the world, they start a journey of change. We call those changes or that journey resolutions. And people have different resolutions, don't they? Maybe someone decides it's time to make a career change. It's time for a different path. And so that's what they do. They decide that they're going to change jobs. They're going to go a different direction. Maybe they change their associations. Maybe they realize that the friends that they have or family members that they surround themselves with are not the kind of people that they really need to be around. They're not the best people to be around. And so they're changing those associations. Or some people decide that instead of being A-shaped, they want to get into shape, right? And so they start that new diet that's trending on Twitter. And after, you know, that first month, they, they, they hate it. And their friends and their family and their coworkers, they hate them. Why? Because they whine and they complain about the change. They complain about how difficult it is and how hard it is. Those first few weeks are the toughest as they adjust to the new diet and the new routine and the meals and the exercise but they work through it and they get by and they notice some physical change and they even feel better. Then February 1st rolls around and they think, you know what? I've done pretty good. 31 days, I've been on this diet, I've been on this journey of change, I've done, I've done really well, so I'm going to reward myself. Then a week or two later, they come to a Super Bowl party and they have all of these party foods that are being served and they think, you know what, it's not going to be a bad thing if I just try a few things here and there. It's not going to be a bad thing if I just taste a few things and have this, indulge just a little, and all of a sudden it's the devil's holiday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Diet over. It's over. And they come up with all kinds of excuses as to why they failed. Well, it wasn't really working anyway. It wasn't really having the impact that I thought it would. I'll find a new diet and start again when I get around to it. That day never comes. Why did they fail? It's because change is hard. Necessary, but hard. Notice the second implication of the passage we just read. Because Peter doesn't just reveal that change is a requirement of excelling in Christianity, as verse 5 says, add or supply or supplement these things. No, the very fact that he even gives this instruction in the first place implies that Peter understands and wants his readers to know that difficult or not, change is possible. Change is possible especially with Christ on our side. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
change is possible. And brethren, Jesus wants you to realize, and he wants me to realize that very fact today, that it doesn't matter how hard and difficult our goals are in this life. It doesn't matter if those, uh, there are things or people standing in our way. It doesn't matter if there are hills or there are mountains before us. We can make all the excuses in the world, but when it comes down to it, if everything in the world is against us, it makes absolutely no difference. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And with the strength of our God behind us, change is possible. There's something else I think we need to understand about this change before we move on. Earlier in Paul's letter to the Romans, in chapter 6, Paul begins the chapter in verses 1 through 4, talking about the burial and our baptism and how we are raised to walk in newness of life. And then continuing on through verses 11, verse 11, Paul's looking intently at the significance of being baptized into Christ. And he's pointing out that baptism is much more than having our sins washed away. That when we are baptized, there is not just a removal of our sins, but a putting on of Christ. We are committing ourselves to a new life. We are crucifying the old in order to pave the way for the new. We are crucifying that old self. We are saying to God, Lord, I need you. I can't succeed on my own. I try and I try doing all these things on my own. I can't do it on my own. I am putting my life before you. Mold me and shape me as you would have me to be. Lord, I am completely and totally yours. Do with me what you will, that you may be glorified. We're saying, change me. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, and as followers of Christ. God's chosen, we have to put ourselves and put our lives in his hands. We have to bury ourselves in his word, and we have to be holy people. And here's the third point about change. We also need to keep in mind the people that Peter says later in chapter 2. Change is a process. Change is a process. The process is to grow from this babe in Christ to a mature Christian, verse 2 tells us, implying that this process is all about developing excellence with time so that we can represent Jesus Christ and live a life that glorifies God. So change is necessary. Change is possible. And change is a process. But where does that process begin? Where does it begin? Well, I think it begins with understanding and acceptance of the dynamic between the old self and the new self. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And think about what is said in verses 17 through 24 as we consider more about transformation. Paul deals with this idea of separating the old self and the new self. He says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, 
being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, have, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here, Paul makes reference to their former lives. He makes reference to their former lives in which they were ignorant of God's word. And their lives and their minds, they had been engulfed by sin. Their hearts were full of all kinds of evil things. They were hardened. They'd become callous. They were insensitive to those around them, insensitive to the people that lived around them, greedy, full of full, completely full of impurities. Full of lies and deceit. In verse 22, Paul says to his listeners that in reference to your former manner of life, you have to lay aside that old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. What Paul is saying here is repentance is necessary. Repentance, as described in the New Testament, is this recognition that we've sinned, that we've hurt God. And we've done so in not living as he would have us to live. And now we're going to turn from sin and we're going to turn toward God. We've decided to change and now let God take control of our lives so that we can enjoy that life with Christ. But before we can enjoy that life, Paul says you have to crucify that old self. Lay aside that old self. You have to put away that old so that you can pave the way for the new. And isn't that what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 9? Over in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. There Jesus says, nobody puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment. And a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise the wine skins burst. And the wine pours out and the wine skins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wine skins. And both are preserved. What is Jesus saying here? What he's saying is to become a Christian and live according to the old lifestyle. To become a Christian and do what you used to do. To become a Christian and think the way you used to think. To become a Christian and say what you used to say. That's not what I had in mind. That does not represent the nature of God. Because we're not living as God had planned. What we see from our Lord and his disciples is that a Christian is supposed to be focused on getting rid of, depositing, putting away, casting away that old self, putting away that old way of thinking, redirecting our lives towards something better and conforming to what God wants us to do 
and B. But all too often, people make excuses for themselves. What do the young say? The young say, I have time. I have time for change. I don't need to do anything right now. I have certain things I want to do in this life, certain things I want to be a part of, certain fun things that I want to enjoy. I don't have to think about change right now. I have all kinds of time in the world. First congregation I worked with had a woman who felt that way for a while. She was considering whether she had been baptized for the right reason. She was trying to decide whether she had or not, whether she was really living the way that she needed to, whether she wanted to make a change right now. And she just couldn't get over that hump. Until her cousin died at the age of 34 and left her husband with three children. People put it off all the time. And then what happens? We wait, and we wait, and we wait until we're old and so desensitized by sin, no longer feeling any guilt, that we do nothing. There's nothing there anymore to move us to change. Or maybe we have a different problem. We talked about the younger. Maybe we're older. Maybe we're older and we're so set in our ways. As many have said, well, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. A man once made that excuse to a preacher friend of mine. My friend's reply was, thank God we are human beings and not dogs. Because the only way for us to become Christians and to do so to the degree God wants and desires is for us to learn new tricks, for us to change into something new. Whether you're 15 or you're 35, or you're 85 years old, the only way for us to grow as Christians is to continue to learn new tricks. Learning more and more all the time what is God's way, whether you're big or you're small or you're young or you're old. The more we learn God's way and push toward him, the easier it will become for us to look at the old ways with disdain and push away from the sin that entangled our lives. The easier it will become for us to understand this concept of godliness. But you know, much of the reason we are the way we are is a result of our habits. Maybe it has to do with where you lived or where you grew up. I can tell you, I grew up in the North. Northerners and Southerners are very different in a lot of different ways. I tend to be a little sarcastic from time to time. Maybe hospitality is different. 
I remember first going to Camp Kennessee where Sean and Diane Bain have been directors for years. And when I was there, I noticed a difference in the kids there, the, that, that the uh, other campers, when they addressed all of the adults, they always said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And to me, that was strange. I had not grown up with that. And we got into a conversation about it. And one of the, one of the people, uh, as they were talking about it, they said, you don't do this. I said, well, here, it's a sign of respect. Up in the north, you're being, uh, you know, you're being rude. Things are just different in places. And we say, that's just the way we are. We're creatures of habit. We're subject to our habits, our ways of life, the things that have become second nature to us. And what we need to realize, brethren, is that in order for us to be what God wants us to be, we have to learn to detach ourselves from those old habits. We have to learn to create new habits. And the more we do those things, the more we practice, the more we make them a way of life, the more we will become what God wants us to become, but we cannot just be satisfied with breaking the old. Brethren, becoming a Christian is not just about having the right doctrine. It's not just about going to the right church. It's not just about coming Sunday morning and Wednesday night and showing up for gospel meetings and, and blasts and workshops and Bible studies. Becoming a Christian is not just about doing things. God is looking for us to become something. And the more we realize this, the change will start from the inside out. Years back, I was a very different person. Some of you are very different people as well. In fact, many who are Christians here today didn't grow up in the church. What happened? A change took place. You allowed God to take control and begin to shape you into what you needed to be, but change as we may define it sometimes is not always the way God defines it. When does a liar, when is a liar no longer a liar? So when he stops lying, or a thief, no longer a thief. So when he just stops stealing, when is an adulterer no longer an adulterer, a drunk no longer a drunk? What I'm getting at is, is that if we ha are, are to effectually, permanently change, we cannot be satisfied with just stopping what we used to do. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, I think Jesus gives us some insight here to the point that I'm trying to make. Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is telling this story and he's trying to explain the very point that we're trying to make here. Starting in verse 43, Jesus says, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied. It's swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with, with its seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Brethren, what Jesus is saying here is that being a Christian is not simply getting rid of the person you used to be. 
It's not simply cleaning house. Being a Christian is about getting rid of something, but then replacing it with something else. He says, if you clean the house and you straighten up and you don't fill it with something else, the old spirit is going to come back. It's going to occupy that space. But not only will it occupy it, it will bring stronger spirits and, and those will dwell in it as well. So if we get rid of the old self, we cannot just be happy with that. We must replace it with something else. That will help us become the person God wants us to become so that when the spirit tries to return, there's no room for him to inhabit. Jesus has taken over. I don't think we can underestimate the power of this passage and what it is that is being taught here in this text. How many times have we heard stories or we have seen in our own lives or we have seen in the lives of others those people who, who, who have become Christians and six months later, they're back to where they were before, except they're not just back to where they were before, they're actually worse than they were before because these old things they've returned to and those habits, it wasn't enough to just make space. Everything comings back, comes back in full. They were satisfied with quitting, but they never replaced the old with the new. And what once was old has now taken control once again. We have to learn to put away the old and replace with the new. Put away the bad and replace with the good. Start, stop hating and start loving. Stop lying and start speaking the truth. Stop stealing and start giving and stop cursing and start blessing and stop being selfish and become selfless. Stop worrying about everything and start uh, enjoying life. That is the kind of transformation that we're talking about this morning. Unlike the rich young ruler, we will, we will have to let go of all those things holding us back. and replace them with positive and permanent things so that we can move forward. So I accept that there is a strong dynamic between the old self and the new self. How do I change? What do I have to do? What's involved? I think the first and most obvious thing is prayer. We need to go to our God in prayer and ask him for the strength to make the right changes. But what else can I do? What, what do I have to do? How do, I, how do I approach or accomplish these things that Peter mentions in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 5 through 9? Developing these virtues and growing into the Christian that represents God's nature. You know, it starts with a decision that I'm going to change. It starts with a decision that I'm going to push myself. I'm going to make these changes, and I'm going to keep going until I reach my goal. It doesn't matter how young or old I am. Nothing is going to stand in my way. And this is an attitude of discipline. It starts with a change of mind. The Bible talks a lot about discipline. In fact, Paul spoke about disciplining himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? 
Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without, without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Notice what he says. Run in such a way that you may win. Don't run to lose. Don't run in defeat. You run to win. How do you do that? Exercise self-control. Exercise self-control. Then he basically says, what I do is set a goal. Then I work toward my goal, giving it my all. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that when everything is over, I won't be disqualified. Paul says, listen, this is how I do it. This is what your approach to serving our Lord needs to be. Maybe one of the best things you can do is make a list. Make a list of what you do and what you need to do to change. Peter gives us that list there in 2 Peter chapter 1. Take that list, prioritize it, and what you're weakest at and what you're best at. And just make that list and start working through that list and working through that list and working through that list. And every couple of months, take that list and reprioritize it. Don't stop. Don't think that, oh, I've, I've gotten better at this. I don't need to work on this anymore. Just keep changing that list and keep working. Discipline yourself. Practice self-control. Similar points made in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, as the writer points to the life of Jesus as the ultimate example. He says, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes? From the very beginning, Jesus knew what his purpose was for coming to this earth. He knew what God's will was and how easy could it have been for him to just give in to the temptations of Satan. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he responds to him by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus disciplined himself to do whatever had to be done, even give his life, if that's what God wanted from him. You remember in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is staring death in the eye. There he's praying in the garden. He's running out of time. And still Jesus has the presence of mind to tell his disciples what? We need to pray so that we don't fall into temptation. 
And so Jesus prays, Father, please take this away. But not by my will, but yours be done. Then he took the cross. And why? Because that's what God wanted him to do. Because taking the cross was the way for his father to be glorified. We see from Paul and from Jesus that discipline is the only way we can overcome all the bad areas of our lives. It's how we can separate ourselves from the demons of our past and become the Christians that God wants us to become. It's so hard to give up so many of these things that we like for those things that are are, are better for us. It's hard to give up that southern fried chicken for that lean, tasteless piece of meat. Or to give up candy and popcorn and soda for a salad. It's hard to leave the comfort of my own home and go out into the hot sun or the cold weather and talk to people about the gospel of Christ. All of that takes discipline and it's all very inconvenient sometimes. But how convenient was the cross? Listen, it's only when we are living by the will of God that the things that we teach and preach are validated. It's only when we are living by the will of God that the things that we teach and preach are validated. It begins by understanding that those old things which I am most comfortable with are no longer part of this new life in Christ. I kill that old man. A new one is alive. And brethren, change is possible if we want it bad enough. One last scripture and the lesson will be yours. First Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. We return to our text and we hear the words of our brother Peter as he closes that thought. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to ask ourselves, have I really changed the way that I am supposed to change? Am I becoming the Christian that I am expected to be? Am I changing in that way? Am I developing in such a way as to slowly transition and, and transform into something new? Or am I comfortable with where I am at? That's the question this morning. Are you working toward change? You know, a butterfly doesn't start off very pretty. You have this egg, not much to look at, right? And then from it hatches this larva. Again, some of them can be a little pretty to look at, but most of them are very ugly. But with time, that larva eats, and it eats, and it eats, and it takes in, and it takes in, and it takes in, and it starts to develop, and it starts to grow, and then this pupa forms, and by the end of the transformation, you have this beautiful butterfly. That's the idea here. That's the kind of transformation that is supposed to take place in the life of a Christian. Again, it starts with being buried in a watery grave. And it ends before the throne 
with a crown of glory. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.